How many people are ready for God's Word? Come on, are you ready for God's Word? Well, I am so glad that you're here this morning. And a a big shout-out welcome to those that are watching online. And here in our city, our province, our nation, and even around the world, we are so pumped. We are so honored that you have chosen to be part of this worship experience. Well, we're in a January sermon series that we're simply calling God Didn't Say That. And it all began last Sunday. We're just kind of delving into some things in the Bible that maybe get a little twisted or they're just so clearly not there. And we want to bring some clarity to that. And so I want you to pull out your sermon outline. It is on the back of your bulletin or you can pull it up on your handheld device. I I remember as a boy hearing my mom say this more than once. Mark, clean your room because we all know that cleanliness is next to godliness. You ever heard that? And uh, I I don't see that in the Bible. And I remember saying, Mom, show me chapter verse. It's not there. Well, that's there. Make sure your room's clean. And, well, we're not going to look at that today. But there is a saying that I've heard a lot of people say, and maybe you've used it. And I've had people say this to me. And maybe you've said this to someone or someone has said this to you. Is God helps those who help themselves. And it almost feels like it's found in the book of Hezekiah or the book of Hesitation. That's not in the Bible. And, uh, and, and, you know, you almost feel like it's there, but it's not there. And so the question we want to look at today is, who does God really help? And I want to invite you to pull out your Bible today, whether you've brought the good old leather-bound Bible like I've brought today, or you've got your handheld device. And I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And in just a couple of moments, I'm going to read to you a parable. It's verse 9 down to verse 14. And the parable that we're going to look at today is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, the first thing I want you to notice is that this parable is unique to the Gospel of Luke. You won't read it in Matthew. You won't read it in Mark. And you definitely won't read it in the Gospel of John. But it's right here in the Gospel of Luke. So allow me to read to you Luke 18, verse 9, down to verse 14, beginning now in verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God... I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, today on this snowy day, I'm asking God that you would grant us ears to hear and a heart to receive. I pray, God, that this parable that we're going to look at today would come to life. And I pray, God, it would challenge us. I pray, God, it would encourage us. I pray, God, that it would would give us fresh insight and fresh hope for our tomorrows and our todays. So thank you, God, for these amazing people today. We love you, and because we love you, we love your word. 
And I pray, God, that your word would become life to our soul. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Nobody whispered. Nobody used their inside voice. Everybody used their outside voice and shouted, Amen. Amen. Well, I want to give you today five parable points. Five points from the parable. And the first thing I just want to zero in on, number one, I want to explore the purpose of this parable. Why? Why? Why would Jesus write this parable? What actually is the purpose of this parable? Now, you don't have to look too far. The purpose of the parable is actually found in verse 9. So let's look at verse 9 a little closer. Here's the purpose of the parable. To some. It starts with who he's writing to. He's writing to some. Not to everybody, but to some. He's writing to, to, uh, to, to people that, that are stand up. To some, he said, who were confident of their own righteousness. In fact, one translation says he wrote to some who trusted in themselves. And there was a group of people in those days who trusted in themselves, had all of their confidence in themselves, and they saw themselves as the source of their righteousness, the source of who they are, and they thought themselves to be better than, than everybody else. And, and they thought themselves so much so to be better than everyone else. Look at verse 9. It says, they looked down on everyone else. So Jesus told this parable. They looked down on everyone else. One translation says they, they showed contempt to others. You know what that means? They, they looked down their nose at people. And they thought that they were up here. I'm better than you. You're down here. I'm more righteous. You're less righteous. I'm more spiritual. You're less spiritual. I'm this. You're down there. And Jesus wanted to address that attitude of pride and arrogance of people who looked down at others and thought that they were so much better. So Jesus shared this parable. Number one, the purpose of this parable. The second thing I want to explore, number two, the, the people in this parable. Who were who the examples that Jesus gave in this parable? And, and I want you to look at verse 10, because he starts by saying, two men went up to the temple. Now, the temple was the place of worship. And every day, twice a day, people would go into the temple once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and they would go to the temple to pray. The temple was the place for public prayer and the place for private prayer, the place for public worship and the place for private worship. So it wasn't unheard of for men in the morning and men in the afternoon to go to the temple, to the place of worship. Two men went up to the temple to pray. And I want you to know that Jesus doesn't give us their names but he gives us a little insight on who they are. Now look at this. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, anytime nowadays I hear the name Pharisee, I think of someone who's legalistic. I think of someone who's judgmental. But back in those days, they didn't look at Pharisees as being judgmental or legalistic. Everybody looked up to the Pharisees because the Pharisees were the real spiritual people. And I'm told in those days, there was never any more than 2,000 Pharisees. And Pharisees were stout men who really observed the ancient Old Testament Torah. And the Old Testament Torah is the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And if you were a Pharisee in those days, you, you could quote the Torah. You memorized the Torah. You lived by the Torah. You walked in the Torah. You wanted to live out every word in the Old Testament Torah. So much so that there was a book that was written called the, the Mishnah. 
And the Mishnah was a book that was written to tell you how to live out the Torah. Now, now I read this this week, that, that for one verse in, in the Torah, sometimes there were pages in the Mishnah to tell you how to live out that one verse in the Torah. And, and so you got, you, got, you got the Torah, and then you got the Mishnah, and if you got confused by the Mishnah, they had what was called the Talmud. And the Talmud explained the Mishnah, and the Mishnah explained the Torah. Are you following me? And you got these Pharisees, you see, they were fair, you see. That's, that's a little humor on a snowy day. And they, they observed the, the Torah devoutly. They were so religious, and they were so devout. And some of these Pharisees walked around with their nose in the air. I'm more spiritual than you because I know the Torah, and I know the, the Mishnah, and I know the Talmud, and I'm living it out to my fullest, and I am so righteous. Here you've got the Pharisees. So when Jesus shared this parable, people weren't surprised to hear of a Pharisee going to the temple to pray. But then he mentions a tax collector. Now, if the Pharisee was away up there, they're like the cream that rises to the top. They're the best of the best. The tax collector would be like the smelly scum on a stagnant old pond. And I'm told that tax collectors started their own tax collecting franchise and they would work for the Roman government and the Roman government would tax the people and they would send the tax collectors to collect the taxes, but the tax collectors were cheaters and liars. So if you owed $100 taxes, they would charge you like $300 and they would give the $100 back to the Roman government and pocket the $200 for themselves. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not good. That's not good. I mean, they, they were cheaters. They were liars. They were horrible, lying people. In fact, in fact, this is true. This is true. That a tax collector could never be a witness in the court of law because the courts would never choose to view their words as truth. They could never be a witness in the court of law. And they were cheaters and they were liars and they would pocket the money, and everybody hated the tax collectors. The Pharisee would be like the, the cream that rises to the top, and the tax collector would be like the scum on a stagnant pond. And I read something this week that might shock you, but it's true, it's true, that if you were walking that day and you accidentally rubbed shoulders or touched by mistake a tax collector, because you would never want to touch a tax collector because of who they are, the first thing you would do is spit on the ground. Who? I touched the tax collector. And you'd spit on the ground. And then you'd go home and you'd remove your clothes and you would literally burn all the clothes that you were wearing because you touched a tax collector. Get rid of those clothes. And then you would put a scalding hot bath to burn away the uncleanness because you touched a tax collector. That's true. And so Jesus shares this parable, and he says, there's a Pharisee and a tax collector, and they're going into the temple to pray. And the audience are like, well, I get the Pharisee going in to pray, but come on, Jesus, a tax collector. Jesus often would like to shock his audience. So number one, the purpose. Number two, the people in this parable. Let's go to number three. Let's look very closely at the prayers 
in this parable. And there are two prayers. There's number one, the prayer of the Pharisee. And then there's number two, the prayer of the tax collector. So let's look, let's look close at this. Let's look first of all at the prayer of the Pharisee. And the prayer of the Pharisee is found in verse, verse number 11 and verse number 12. So let's look at verse 11. This is the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now, standing was the normal posture of those days to pray. In fact, if you prayed in the temple, you wouldn't be seated, you would stand. But the Greek word that's used here for stand means he, he stood out. He stood out so everyone would see him. I want you to picture the Pharisee going to the middle of the temple and it's like, look at me, everybody, I am praying. And so I went to a Greek lexicon and I wanted to see the actual transliteration of the words. And I saw something that that isn't here in the New International Version, and I don't see it in other translations. And it actually says that he stood by himself and he prayed to himself. That's what it means. He stood by, he stood out and he prayed to himself. So his prayer wasn't to God. He prayed to himself, for himself, about himself. I mean, he was waxing eloquently with a soliloquy to his own soul. And he was sharing an exaggerated eulogy about himself. And he was hoping everybody would hear himself talking to himself about himself. So what did he say? Let's look at this. Here it is. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I mean, he's so dripping with arrogance, and he's so dripping with pride. He's better than anyone else. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. And then he mentions a robber, evildoers, and adulterers. It's like he's saying, I don't, I don't steal like that tax collector. I've never robbed anybody, and I'm not about to rob anybody, and I'm not an evildoer. I don't do evil things. I mean, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that observes the Torah. I'm the guy that understands the Mishnah. I'm the guy that understands the Talmud. I'm the guy that lives out the law to the fullest. I thank God that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. I don't sleep around. I'm faithful to my spouse. Or even like, and I could see him looking at, that tax collector. I read something this week that there was a group of Pharisees that were appointed in the temple to be like the bouncers. They're the temple bouncers. And if there's anybody that was unclean in the temple, they would drag that unclean person out the eastern gate and push them out the eastern gate. And I'm I'm picturing the Pharisee going, where are the bouncers? Why haven't they got rid of this tax collector? He's a thief. He's a liar. He steals. He's dishonest. He's the scum on a stagnant pond. Get the bouncers, the Pharisee bouncers, and get him out of the temple. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. So he mentions in verse 11 things he doesn't do, but now look at verse 12. He mentions two things that he does do. I fast twice a week. Now, let me give you a little insight. Every single Jewish person in those days would fast one day, once a year, one time, once a year on the day of atonement. 
And once a year, they were called to fast. And, and if you're Jewish, you had to fast one day every year. And this Pharisee says, I do a lot more than that. This Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. Everyone else fasts once a year, but I fast twice a week. I started to study that, and I wanted to know what days of the week that the Pharisees fasted. Now, get ready for this. They fasted on a Monday, and they fasted on a Thursday. And I know your question, why a Monday, and why a Thursday? Because Jewish people believe that Moses went up Mount Sinai on a Monday, and 40 days later, he came down on a Thursday. And I thought, wow, they are so spiritual. And then I kept reading, and I noticed something that the most busiest market day in the week was a Monday and a Thursday. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think these Pharisees fasted on a Monday and a Thursday because Moses went up the mountain, they think, on a Monday and came down 40 days later on a Thursday? Or do you think, do you think that they fasted on a Monday and a Thursday because the market was the busiest and they wanted everybody to see that they were fasting and prayer? Most Bible scholars say they didn't fast on a Monday and a Thursday because Moses went up the mountain on a Monday, came down on a Thursday. Most Bible scholars say they fasted on a Monday and a Thursday so everybody would see them because it was all about them. Now, now look at the screen. I fast twice a week, and I give. In fact, the, the Greek doesn't say give. I pay a tithe of all I get. Now, now the Bible teaches tithing. And some of you today, well, what's a tithe? A tithe is, is 10%. And, and, and so, so we teach and we believe that whatever we make, we, we should give 10% back to God. It's, it, we, it's like we give to God first of the tithe. This morning, I, I just gave my tithe as I came in. I went to a debit machine, and Evelyn and I have done it for years. The first tenth goes to God, and then we live off the 90%. But, but what the Pharisee, the Pharisees stepped it up a notch. They didn't just tithe on what they got. They also tithed on what they owned. In fact, if you read in Matthew chapter 23, you read that they, they tithe on, 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 on their on their paste, their parsley, on their sage, and on their rosemary. And they, 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 they tithed on, on not just what they earned, but they tithed on what they owned. And this Pharisee said, I, I'm so good. I don't just tithe on what I make. I tithe on what I own. And so he's bragging. He's standing out there, and he's praying to himself. He's giving a soliloquy about himself to himself so everyone could hear, I thank God I'm not like everybody else. I thank the Lord that I am not a robber, an evildoer, or an adulterer. I thank God that I'm not like that tax collector. By the way, where are the bouncers? And I thank God that I fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday. Just like Moses, who went up the mountain on a Monday and came down on a Thursday. And I tithe not just what I make, but I tithe on everything that I own. Do you hear the attitude of the Pharisee? Now let's look at the prayer of the tax collector. And I want you to look at verse 13. And I want you to see it says, but the tax collector. There's a contrast. And you're about to read that the prayer of the tax collector was way different than the prayer of the Pharisee. 
And there's four things that I see in this verse that I, I, I want to point out to you. And the, and, and, the, and the first thing I want to point out to you, number one, is the position of the tax collector. Look at, the, look at this. But the tax collector stood at a, at a distance. I mean, the Pharisee probably went right to the front and in the light. Everybody look at me. I'm so wonderful. I'm not like everybody else. I'm better than you. I don't steal. I'm faithful to my wife. I tithe way beyond what I should. And I fast twice a week. Oh, look at me. But notice the position, the position of the tax collector. He's in the shadows. He's way off in the distance. He didn't want anyone to see him. Number one, I want you to note his position. The second thing I want you to notice is not just his position, but I want you to notice his posture. It says he would not even look up to heaven. I don't think he felt he was worthy to look up to heaven, so he lowered his head. He didn't feel worthy. And he's hiding over in the shadows and, and, his, and his head is down. And so we notice his, his position. And, and secondly, we notice his posture. But the third thing I want you to notice is his passion. The Bible says he began to, to beat his breast. He began to beat his heart. He began to, to, to strike loudly and rapidly his heart with both hands. And it was symbolic of, of agony. It was symbolic of sorrow. It was symbolic of repentance. And, and in that culture, if you were in sorrow or, or you were agonizing on the inside, and if you were repenting, you would take your fist and you would pound your heart. Because he knew, he knew, he knew that he was a cheater. And he, he knew that he had taken money from people and kept it. He knew that he wasn't an honest man. And he, he knew that. And so in this parable, I want you to picture, I want you to picture the tax collector standing off in a distance in the shadow. And he's got his head down and he's beating his breast. He's beating his heart. So we see his position. We see his posture. And we see his passion. But the fourth thing I want you to notice is his plea, his prayer. And I want you to look at it. It's just seven words. It's not a long prayer. You see, you see the prayer of the Pharisee was long. On and on and on and on and on. Look at me, 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 look at me. But the tax collector prayed just seven words. And I want you to notice three things about the prayer. Number one, he prayed to the right person. And number two, he, he prayed the right prayer. And then number three, he made the right confession. So, so let's look at it a little closer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Who did he pray to? God. He didn't pray to himself, for himself, so that everybody could hear him. He's not standing in the front center so everybody would say, no, no, no. He's in the shadow and, he, and he's got his head down and he's beating his breast and, 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 he's, and he's, God, he's, he's praying to the right person. Now, now before I show you the, the heart of the prayer, and this is so cool, I'm going to come to it in a moment. I want you to look at the last words because he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A, a, a sinner. I mean, a, a sinner kind of gives you the idea that there's other sinners, but, but, I, but I looked at it in the original Greek, and it doesn't say a sinner. He, he actually said, God, God, mercy me, the, the sinner. 
He doesn't use the indefinite article, ah. He uses the definite article, the sinner. He's not comparing himself to anybody else. God, have mercy on me, the the sinner. Not a sinner, the sinner. And then it says here, it says, he said, God, have, have mercy on me. Now, you can look at this up for yourself. If you go to a Greek lexicon, you discover that he takes the noun mercy and he turns it into a verb. He moves it from a noun to an action. And he's praying to God and he calls himself the sinner. And he's like saying, God, mercy on me. Mercy me. And I started to study that word. And there's two things that I saw. Number one, I've got to wet my lips so I can say this word. Because he takes a noun, propitiation, and he makes it a, an action. And he's like saying, God, be propitious to me. Which means, God, favor me. God, God, favor me. God, favor me. But, the, but I couldn't get away from the word, mercy me. And I started to study it. And, and I realized that what he was really praying is, God, mercy seat on me. Mercy seat? Have you heard of the mercy seat before? You go back to the book of Leviticus and you will discover in Exodus and Leviticus that in the ancient tabernacle, the place of worship, in the holy of holies was what's called the Ark of the Covenant. It was just a wooden box. It wasn't big. And, and inside the wooden box, inside the Ark of the Covenant, was the two tablets of the law that Moses had scribed the law on. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the two tablets of the law. And it was plated with gold on the outside. And the lid was gold. And the golden lid of the Ark of the Covenant was actually called the mercy seat. And I'm told on the mercy seat were cherubims, one on each side. And the wings of the cherubim would extend to each other. And and when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, they believed that the presence of God would indwell in between the wings of the cherubim. But here it is. Once a year, the priests would get a goat take the blood from the goat and go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And the Bible teaches us in Leviticus when the blood would go on the mercy seat, when it was sprinkled on the mercy seat, it was to be a propitiation, to be, to be an atonement for the, for the sins of all the people. And so when the priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, it was God saying, God saying, I forgive the sins of all the people. Church, I want you to picture for a moment in the parable a Pharisee standing there saying, I thank God I'm not like anybody else. I thank God I'm not like this tax collector. I don't do evil doings. I'm, I'm not adulterous. I'm, I'm, I'm a good man. I don't, I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't rob. I, I fast twice a week. And I tithe on everything I receive and everything I own. And then you've got, then you've got the tax collector in the shadows. And his head is down. And, and he can't even look up. And, and he's beating his breast. He's beating his chest. And he's saying, God, mercy 
Seek me, the sinner. He was asking God to do something that he himself could never do. And I want to declare in this place today, you can't wash away your sins. You can't give an atonement for your sins. You cannot take away your sins. The only one who can take away your sins is Jesus Christ. He became your propitiation. He became your atoning sacrifice. He became the ultimate mercy seat when he went to a cross and shed his blood. You can't take away your sins, but Jesus, Jesus took away your sins when he shed shed his blood on a cross and died for you and me some 2,000 years ago. Somebody risk a little amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah this morning. Wow. So I want you to picture the tax collector praying to the right person and praying the right prayer and making the right confession. But then there's number four, the paradox The paradox in this parable. I mean, Jesus always gave a twist to his parable. He always shocked his audience. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I get the Pharisee going in to pray, but a tax collector. So here's the paradox. Here's the unexpected. And the unexpected is found in the first part of verse 14. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, and and he's pointing to and referring to the tax collector, this man, rather than the other, he's referring to the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Justified, justification. And justification means that there was an acquittal. It means that even though you're guilty of your sin, you're declared innocent. And not just declared innocent, you're declared righteous. I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad that Jesus took my place on a cross 2,000 years ago. I'm glad that he did what I couldn't do. I'm glad that he paid a debt that he didn't owe. I'm glad that he shed his blood for my sins. I'm glad that when I invited Jesus Christ into my life, he gave an acquittal to me and he and he he declared me innocent and he shed his blood to forgive me of my sins and then he declared me as righteous because I'm I'm robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ today. And so in this parable, the paradox is we thought it would be the Pharisee. And Jesus says, no, this man is declared, this man is declared righteous and justified. He went home justified before God. Number one, the purpose. Number two, the people. Number three, the prayer. Number four, the paradox. And then there's number five, what is the principle that we can learn from this parable. And let me just say it. Does God help those who help themselves? No. But what you're about to see is God helps those who humble themselves. Does God help those who help themselves? No. But does God help those who humble themselves? Yes. And I want you to look, please, at the latter part of verse 14. And this is where... I want to leave you with today, and this, 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 is, this is 
the heart of the parable. Jesus said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Exalt means to lift yourself up. Exalt means to elevate yourself. Is that not what the Pharisee did? Exalt themselves, elevate themselves, make themselves better than they are, lift themselves up. And and Jesus said, Jesus said, for all those who elevate or exalt themselves will be humbled. And the word humbled means to be lowered, be lowered. And then he says, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And you see, you see, church, what we're learning today is, is God doesn't help those who help themselves, but God helps those who humble themselves. So what does humble mean? Well, C.S. Lewis says, humbleness doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. Humbleness means thinking of yourself less. And I, I would declare to you, humbleness is, is, is realizing that I lift him up and I need him and I can't do this on my own. I can't make it on my own. I can't go another day without him. I need him every moment of my day. And I see it in the parable. I see see the Pharisee who's like, I can do this. I'm better than everybody else. I tithe so much and I fast so much and I don't do, I'm not like that tax collector and he's looking down on everyone else. At church, the only time you should look down on someone is when you're trying to help lift them up. But here is the tax collector in the shadows beating his breast and putting his head down and, and, and calling out to God, mercy me, the sinner Mercy me, mercy seat me. Here is the tax collector asking God to do something that he can't do. Asking God to do what only he can do. Church, when you humble yourself, you're saying, God, I can't do it. But you can. And I need you. And I look out to you today. And I don't know what you're facing. And I don't know what you're walking through. But I'm here to say to you, God can make a difference in your life. And when you humble yourself and say, I can't do it, but God, you can't do it. I humble myself. You watch God elevate you out of that situation and do something greater and mightier than you can ever imagine. It's when you say, God, I'm lost without you. I need you. I surrender all to you, God. I humble myself. You're God. I'm not. This problem is bigger than me, but this problem is not bigger than you. How many people know your problem is not bigger than God? Do you believe that today? Come on, how many people know your problem is not bigger than God? What are you facing? What are you walking through? Humble yourself and let God step in and let God do it. God helps those who humble themselves. Would you bow your heads? Father God, as our heads are bowed, I want to pause and say thank you. Thank you, God, for all that you've done in this church and in our lives. 
And I pray, God, that we would never elevate ourselves. I pray we would never exalt ourselves. I pray we would never think ourselves better than we are. I pray in the name of Jesus, we would walk and live in humility and brokenness. And Father God, I believe that there are people here this morning facing, walking, experiencing stuff, situations that are bigger than they could ever imagine. But I'm asking God that you would step down and you would step in and you, God, would make a difference in their life and you would lift them up and you would bring them through their trial. You would bring them through their tribulation. You, oh God, would do what only you can do. And I pray in the name of the Lord for people here today that need a breakthrough. Would you bring breakthrough in the name of Jesus? In the same way that the one in this parable needed mercy, only you could give mercy. And God, there's things that only you can do. There's, I just feel, God, there's people here right now, they're like, I, I don't know what else to do. I can't do this. I can't, this won't change, Lord, unless you step in. I ask, oh God, that you would step in. That you would step in. And you would do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. There's two things that I want to end this service with. Number one, I can't close this service without asking this question. If today was the day that you died and you stepped into eternity, do you know that you're going to heaven? Are you ready for heaven? Perhaps you're sitting here today or you're watching on live streaming and you're like, I've never looked at it that way. I don't know if I'm ready for heaven. I want to declare to you, God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus died for you. And the way to heaven is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you personally asked Jesus to be the center of your life? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you made your peace with God through Jesus Christ? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Do you know that you know that you're ready for heaven? In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if you've never made your peace with God through Jesus Christ, and you'd like to make your peace with God through Jesus Christ, you want to be ready for heaven. You want to begin a personal relationship with Jesus. You want Christ in your life. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. After I count to three, I want to invite you to lift up your hand. And if you lift up your hand, you're letting me know, Pastor, I want a relationship with Jesus. Would you lead me in a prayer? So I'm going to count the three. And if you'd like to be included and led in this prayer to receive Jesus, I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, you just lift your hand as high as you can. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. If you lifted your hand, or you're watching on live streaming and you know this is for you, I want to lead you in this prayer. We're going to join you as you pray. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I have decided to follow Jesus. I make my peace with you. I receive you in my life. Today, I declare you as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your eyes, it's party time. Can we celebrate salvation? Come on, Woodville, can we celebrate salvation?
And if you prayed that prayer and you received Jesus Christ in your life, I, I'm so delighted. You made the best decision you could ever make. And if you don't attend a life-giving, Bible-believing church, we'd love to have you in the journey. And in just a couple of moments on your way out, Go to the wall that says follow. We got a Bible for you, a little booklet for you. We got a follow class. We want to help you in your new faith journey. But could we stand? Could we stand? Could we stand? And I, I just believe what we need to do, Pastor, is worship with that song closer. That's a powerful song. I, I, I just believe that God wants to get close to these people this morning. And I just feel the Lord prompt me right now that there's a number of you standing here and you're walking through something, you're like, Mark, I need God to step in. And the word for you today is God helps those who humble themselves. When you just say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need you. I can't do it. I believe that as you open your heart See, pride says, I can do it in my own strength. Pride says, it's all about me. Humility says, it's all about you. And I believe the word today is, as you humble yourself, God is going to lift you up out of what you're walking through. And he's going to make a way when there doesn't feel like there's a way. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray. And pastor, I want you to lead us in this song. And if you want to respond and come and stand at the front, I want the altar workers just to be ready and make yourself available. And you're like, I, I just need someone to pray with me this morning. I'm going through this and it's heavy. And I, I, I just want to walk in humility and I need God to bring breakthrough. I want you to feel free to come and we're going to, we're going to agree in prayer for you. So altar workers, come on up. So God, I pray right now, even as Pastor Brad leads us in this song, in these final moments, I pray that the windows of heaven would open over this place. God, we're just going to humbly, humbly lean in on you. And we're just going to humbly say, I need you. We're just going to humbly say, I'm lost without you. We're going to humbly say, I can't do this on my own. And I need you, Lord. I pray, God, we stop trying to do this in our own strength. And I pray in the name of the Lord, the strong arm of our God would come in this place. So, Lord, as Pastor Brad begins to lead us, we're going to lean in on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship in song. If you'd like prayer, come on forward. Like the rushing
when the nights get rough, I will still sing out your praise. God, I want to say thank you for our time this morning. And I pray, God, for everyone that has responded and come to the front, that, God, every need will be met in you in the name of Jesus. We humble ourselves, and we realize that it's all about you. We realize, God, that our confidence must fully be in you. So, God, in our humility, in our brokenness, we say, God, step in and make the difference. I thank you, God, for our time this morning. Thank you, God, for everyone that has come here today. And I pray, God, you would give us an amazing week. And I pray your blessing upon everyone in this place. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, celebrate our Lord. Go ahead and celebrate our Lord. Pastor Brad is going to keep leading the song for a little longer. You feel free to stay. If you need to go, God bless you. And if you're our guest, drop by the guest lounge. We want to bless you. And if you accepted Christ in your life, drop by the follow wall. We have a Bible for you and a little booklet for you. God bless you, friends. Closer than my every breath. Closer than my every step. Closer than the song I sing. Closer than any. Closer than my every breath, closer than my every step, closer than the song.